The Dave Berta Podcast is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. To discover more amazing Alberta-made podcasts, visit albertapodcastnetwork.com. I'm Dave Cornoyer, and you're listening to the Dave Berta Podcast. We're recording this episode on Sunday, February 9th, 2020, and we're thrilled to be joined by our producer, Adam Rosenhart. Hi! Hey, Adam. And we are also thrilled to be joined by our special guest today, Mac Mail. Hi, Dave. Welcome to the Dave Berta Podcast, Mac. Thank you for having me. Good to uh, have you, man. Yeah, great to have you. Mac is one of the founders of Taproot Edmonton and is the co-host of Speaking Municipally, a podcast focused on Edmonton City Council and municipal issues in our province's capital city. And I'm thrilled to have Mac here today to talk about municipal provincial issues relations and and everything that goes with that but before we start i I just wanted to acknowledge uh a a role that mac played in the origin story of this podcast the pre the the the, the pre-podcast origin story really yeah totally oh yeah i'm curious about yeah so so (laughs) matt so so mac back in 2013 i think it was 2013 mac uh, Ryan Hassman and I uh, yeah. co-hosted oh, yeah. a, uh, a Google Hangout, uh, Edmonton or Yeg Votes, uh, Edmonton Votes, uh, Google Hangout for the 2013 municipal election in Edmonton. That's and, right. Yeah. So that's that's how Ryan Hassman, the former co-host of this podcast, and and I started to get together and do and uh, and talk about doing the idea of doing a podcast. Um, so Mac was part of the uh, part of the trio on the Edmonton Votes. Uh, uh, Google Hangout, and we had a chance to interview. We were holding live Google Hangouts, and we were interviewing municipal election candidates. I think we had it was the mayoral election that year, so we had Don Iveson. Uh, we interviewed. We interviewed Carrie Diot. Uh, I think we tried to interview Karen Libovici, but yep. we weren't able to make it work. And then we interviewed a couple other candidates and and campaign managers and and uh, and municipal folks. Uh, yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. You know, I think those I, I would suspect they're probably still on youtube I yeah don't know. no they're still up i haven't deleted any of them yeah. i'm a bit of a digital pack rat so they'd be there okay and i'll, yeah. I'll try i'll try to put that up try to get the i'll put a link to those on on the on uh, on deberta.ca we did an ab votes we did too right yeah we did i think we only did two episodes i think we had though. alice and redford though didn't we you guys had we, someone who was we a, had rachel notley oh yeah. sorry rachel notley that's yeah it was. yeah we had yeah, it yeah, was yeah. during the 2015 that's provincial right. election that's right. and and I think it was before the NDP started to take off in the polls, like before. Yeah, like it sure. was like at the first week of the election or something. Yeah, yeah. How come you only did two of that one? Was it just schedules that didn't line up or something? I think so. We tried to get Jim Prentice on, but the That's PCs right. were not incredibly cooperative, as far as I can remember. <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and then, but we did. I think we did. We did with someone else too. I think we talked with. Oh, you know what? You know what it was. This is hilarious because we tried to get Brian Jean on, but. He wasn't available, so he had we had Derek Fildebrandt on as his surrogate, which is right. kind of hilarious now thinking that, that is Derek, right. Derek Fildebrandt was Brian Jean's surrogate. Wow. Yeah. How so, times have changed. Yeah. Well, great memory. You've been at this a long time. Congratulations on 15 years, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Tw- uh, January 21st marked 15 years since I launched uh, the, the, the original Dave Berta, which was daveberta.blogspot.com, <laughs> for those of you who remember Blogspot. And you were, you were, I just have to say, you were like a bit of a celebrity to me. I've told this story before, but I saw you in line at the Varscona Theater going to a show and I was with Sharon, and I said, "Hey, I think that's like, I think that's Dave. I think that's the Mac, blogger." Mac Mail was starstruck oh, wow. by yeah. an and online And that's where we met. We said hello. I remember I had this really terrible flip phone, and <laughs> well, I don't I, think I could even tweet about it at the time. <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, yeah, you'd have to do what's the T3, text like T three yeah. or what's the uh, yeah the short code for the, sh- the short code. Twitter was that like four two four two four something, something like that? that. Yeah, yeah. two one two yeah. and two. That's what it was. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh wow, that's wild. And I mean, Mac, you've been around in uh, on online. In Edmonton for for probably as long or longer this I longer than I have. Yeah, I started Master blogging. Mac. I started blogging in 2003. Okay, you beat me by two years then. Wow. Yeah, I wasn't blogging about anything serious. To be Wait, fair. it was like an online journal for it was you. Like an online journal, I'd write about CD releases because that was still a thing. I mean, Twitter <laughs> didn't exist, so sometimes it would be a very short post. You know, like yeah. you know I mean, you would never post on a blog now. But yeah, that's when I started. Yeah, isn't it? And it, I, I find it's like really interesting to look back at. Uh, online publishing back in the like early and mid 2000s because you didn't have the kind of social media that we have now we didn't have facebook 
was just becoming a thing like in the mid 2000s but then it was like limited to university students mm-hmm. with university email addresses and uh, i remember when i had my used my ulberta account to get uh, <laughs> uh, uh, uh facebook you know the, the first time i heard about facebook was uh my friend colin robertson we were working together at the university of alberta students union and this would have been 2004 2005 and we're sitting in our office because we shared an office and uh and colin one day he's like hey have you heard of this thing called the facebook he's like this is going to be the it's this it's, it's going to be the new big thing everybody's going to go on it it's you can connect with people who are who you're in classes with and i remember thinking well that sounds like a really dumb idea why would anybody <laughs> do that i believe one day this will ruin elections i think yeah yeah, yeah. well yeah yeah <laughs> that that's what i was thinking i yeah. called it first yeah 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 <laughs> Yeah, but going back and thinking about um, blogging, uh, you know, 15, 17 years ago, I remember there were, there were, you know, there wasn't Twitter, there wasn't Facebook, there wasn't the kind of social media that, that we have now. It was blogging aggregators. Mm-hmm. I remember there was like albertablogs.ca and then there were, depending if you were, if you were a political, political blog, there were like blogging Tories and lib blogs and blogging dippers and progressive blogs. And, and I don't know if there was ever an Edmonton not that I'm aware of. Yeah. No. Yeah. But yeah. it's like, I remember we, like, I'd actually get, like, that's, you generate a lot of traffic through that, you know, through, through aggregators and through RSS and You know, you're forgetting forums. about, you're forgetting about one critical one, which was the oilogosphere. Oh, yeah. Which that's is, true. which is where all the Oilers bloggers and, hung out. And, and you played a, a critical role in that in the early days, didn't you? I was or not, you were involved in it, weren't you? I was sort of involved, I wasn't involved in the Oilogosphere other than disrupting it. And this is for the Edmonton it. Oilers, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. So I disrupted it when we launched Oilers Nation. And I think every single one of those bloggers hated us. It was awesome. They're <laughs> 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 like, what are you doing here on our turf? We're like, this is cool. We think we can make money off of it. Yeah. And we can turn was, this into something. They were super pissed. Yeah, and well, you were see, right. it, see, it seemed to work yeah, out. We made money off of it. it I, I see those Oilers Nations decals all over the city. Success, <laughs> success. So, I mean, talking about blogging, talking about disrupting the media, disrupting the maybe not the blogospheres—that's not what we, not what we call it in 2020, but uh, <laughs> but disrupting the mainstream media. I think is is uh, it might might be the uh, the uh, uh, the point that we're, that 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 we've reached, or just disrupting a mainstream media that's disrupting itself mm. um, through uh, changing you know business plans collapsing, advertising changing, hedge funds uh, trying to bleed uh, blood out of uh, or money out of stones like the Edmonton Journal, um, and one of the things that you're very involved in Mac is uh, an initiative, a website, uh, a media organization called Taproot Edmonton. That's right. Could you explain a little bit what what Taproot Edmonton is? We are building what comes next in local news. And we say that our mission now is to help communities understand themselves. So we didn't arrive at that from the beginning, right? We've evolved to that point. But we started because we saw what was happening in local journalism, especially here in Edmonton. Obviously, we've been paying attention, my co-founder Karen and I, to uh, what's been going on for quite a long time. And in 2016, in January of that year, uh, Post Media merged their newsrooms across Canada. And so the the Journal and the Sun here were merged. They had bought the Sun chain the year prior. And 35 journalists were let go that one single day. And Karen and I had kind of had a standing coffee meeting to talk about what was happening. And we finally said, okay, enough talk. We have to do something about this. Uh, and then we launched this entrepreneurial journey to build a company that could do something to um, have a better future for local news. And we talked about how should we start, and we just put up a landing page in May of that year and said, "Give us money if you think <laughs> if you think this could be something." <laughs> and some people did, and uh, and we've been trying to build it ever since. And so we've learned a lot along the way, which I'm, I'm happy to get into. But that's where we started. We really wanted to make sure that our city had uh, a future for good local storytelling. And we thought if we could do that here, then we can strengthen journalism everywhere. It started as a sort of like a vote-based story gathering system. I remember you guys called it like the story garden or something. Can you explain where you started conceptually and what's different about it today? Absolutely. And and naming things is hard. And so uh, we spent a long time trying to come up with the right name. We landed on Taproot for a variety of different reasons. It really works now. We've learned and you guys will know this, like whatever you call it, that's just the name that the thing has, right? Um, but we went with Taproot, and so we adopted this gardening metaphor. So we had this thing called the Story Garden. So members would join, they'd go into the garden, they'd post a question. So it was a website that we built. 
well, actually prototyped it first with just an online forum thing, but eventually became a website. They post a question, other members could vote on them and say, I'm curious about that also. And we would assign those questions, the ones that got the most votes, to a freelancer to go and write a story about it, we'd edit it and publish it. And that worked really, really well. Um, one of the most popular stories we did was about the parking lot next to the Tim Hortons on White Avenue. Oh, yeah. Somebody asked, like, what is the deal with the group of motorcycle guys that hang out there? Great question. Like, how did they get there? What's their story? And so we sent a journalist off to write that story. And, and that was, you know, the reason they're there is not super interesting. I won't give it away. You can go read the story. But it turned into a really great exploration of that uh, community. And I then and then we just learned that, you know, when you first join, you have a question like that. But then what about the next question and the next question? And so we've morphed a little bit to try to prime the pump, so to speak. And so we've got uh, these things we call roundups. These are email newsletters uh, that go out every week on local topics. And the more you read those things, the more patterns you see, the more new curiosity you have. And then we've been able to take that curiosity and write other original stories about it. So from those newsletters where you're rounding up news from like... like Remind me, you've got a regional one, you've got a technology one, you've got an arts one. City council. We have, media. We have nine of them now. Yeah. Media, oh, wow. Business. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. And and do peop, are you still relying on the community to be like, hey, I want, I'd love to dig in more to this thing? Or is it more sort of within Taproot, you're figuring out which stories need elaboration? We always reserved the right sort of as you know, the publisher and the editor, Karen and I, to decide what we were going to put our limited resources into, but we were heavily guided by the questions our members asked. We've expanded that a little bit now. So it's a yeah. great question. So now it's sometimes our freelancers pitch things. Sometimes our curators, because they pay so much attention to their topic, will spot things that they might want to explore and write about. So they'll pitch it. Um, and also we get people that send us stuff all the time now, or they'll reply to the email newsletter and ask a question. And, and those are both great sources of uh, storytelling information as well. And then you you mentioned freelancers. So you guys are paying people to do this work. That's right. Yeah, we pay our freelancers every we have a group of freelancers that work with us every week that do these roundups. Um, so both curating, writing, and then uh, somebody else editing them. And then we have a larger pool of freelancers that we work with to do the original stories, writing and, and editing. Awesome. Everybody who works with Taproot gets paid. Nice. Nobody that's, does anything for free. That's good. Good to good to hear. And and probably, um, uh, in terms of a sustainable business model for for a media organization, that's you know not expecting people to do things for free is probably the good the good way to go. Oh, it's really important. We couldn't you know try to do things, ask people to do things for us for free, and then expect other people to give us money, right? Like yeah. that doesn't work. Um, so yeah, it's been important to us to always pay. We don't obviously have the money to pay huge amounts, um, but our freelance rates have always been. Far lower or far higher than you know the the lower end magazines and things like that. We're not quite at Avenue Edmonton levels, but mm -hmm. I think we pay pretty decently for the the freelance work that we do. That's great. Now, part of what you're doing at Taproot includes uh, this podcast. Me, me, sorry, I was going to say it the wrong way. <laughs> Speaking municipally. Speaking municipally. Yeah. How did that come about? Uh, that came about because my co-host Troy Pavlik, um, who ha has talked about many times how he unsuccessfully ran for city council, decided <laughs> that he wanted to take his knowledge and do a, a podcast about municipal politics. And I thought it was a great idea because there wasn't a lot of coverage of uh, municipal politics in particular. Uh, and so he pitched this idea for a podcast and we thought we'd do a little trial run. So we launched it in the summer, August of 2018. And uh, uh, it found an audience and we enjoyed doing it. And so we kept doing it. And it's a weekly show. Every Friday at noon, a new episode comes out and we've been able to build a pretty, you know, reliable, sustainable audience with new people all the time. That's great. I, I, I found your podcast to be very helpful in terms of following what's going on at Edmonton City Council. I've, I focus a lot and pay attention very closely to provincial politics in right. Alberta. And I find... Maybe it's because I have all the all my listening posts and I know where to go to search for information provincially, but like city council, I find it really hard to track what exactly is going on. I mean, I, you know, you you'll see Aaron Paquette or or you'll read Aaron Paquette or Andrew Knack put out a blog post or Michael Walters put out a blog post and then you'll kind of get, you know, their position on an issue. But then I find it's really hard to actually track what actually went on at right. Edmonton City Council on on any given 
day. Um, so I found the podcast uh, to be quite helpful in terms of hearing what you and Troy have to say and, and, and reflecting on that. And, and uh, I mean, the sometimes the guests that you have during the, I mean, you had the quiz show, which was kind of funny at the end, at the, yeah. at the, at the end of the year. <laughs> Jeopardy. Municipal Jeopardy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which was, which was, which was, which was pretty fun. And, and the, um, I thought the, uh, the, the people who participated were very good sports. Oh, so. absolutely. Yeah. We're glad to have uh, the three counselors who participated this year. Uh, last year we had Chris Chang and Phillips and Elise Stolte and myself were the the participants, but yeah, it was fun. And yeah, you got to be willing to make fun of yourself and take a bit of a risk, right? To go on a show like that when you don't know what questions Mac and Troy have come up with for, for sure. You, so how have you been received at city hall for, with, with the, with the podcast? I mean, obviously you had three counselors come on to your, on to speak municipally, uh, to, to participate in your game show, uh, edition, but in terms of, of access or, um, uh, otherwise talking to you know get getting in touch with with city officials or municipal officials i'm just curious how like have they been receptive and welcoming to to a podcast definitely i think we've been really positively received by both uh, administration as well as the counselors and, and their staff their offices um we do uh, a tap or we do the council roundup every okay. friday as well which is yeah. like here's everything that's coming up at council next week it's a bit of a summary of each of the agenda items and then speaking municipally looks back at the week that just happened and Troy and I talk a little bit more about you know the decisions that were made and we try not to talk about what's coming up in the future so much as here's what will matter based on the decisions they made this week Um, and it's been really positively received and that staff find it really valuable we think actually that a large percentage of our our audience is actually city of edmonton staff yeah um and we know that a large number of the people that read the council roundup also work at the city of edmonton you know it's a fifteen thousand person organization it's impossible to know what all parts of the organization are doing so they probably find it valuable that somebody else is reflecting back some of that to them um, but whenever we've had a question or we've needed clarification um, you know, and everyone we've asked has been quick to respond, whether it's the mayor's office or somebody in the clerk's office or, or whatever. I think they also see that we're able to get those messages out. And so we've actually been pitched by some of them, mm-hmm. you know, in administration mm-hmm. to say, Hey, I want to talk about my issue and help people understand that a little bit better. So, uh, it's been a good, good experience so far. And we try to be fair. Uh, yeah. obviously there's a bit of opinion and we try to make municipal politics, a little more colorful than it normally is. Um, but I think people see that we do our homework and we do our research. And when we were talking about something, we've at least tried to be informed about it. And we've had to correct things a few times, but no no major issues, thankfully. And, yeah. and, and it seems to be a real, I mean, a real example of a, like a smaller media organization filling a gap that was, that's been left by the mainstream media, the large media, like the Edmonton Journal. We said that the, they merged the newsrooms with the Edmonton Sun. They laid off staff. They're not not able to cover as much as as they used to. Um, having uh, you know having people dedicated on the municipal beat in the way that Taproot does um, provides. I think I think provides a lot more detail and nuance to the coverage. Yeah, I hope so. And you know I've been writing about stuff at the city for years now. Right? You mm-hmm. know I really started focusing on municipal issues with the city center airport debate back in 2008, 2009. So I've been going to, you know, news conferences and the media room at city hall and council meetings and things for, you know, well over a decade now. And uh, I can tell you that there's only a couple of people that are, you know, recognizable faces. Like it's kind of a revolving door of journalists in a lot of ways. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So that I think helps too, that, you know, the people that work at the city or the counselors, they know who Troy and I are and they know who Taproot is and what we're doing. And yeah, there's a bit of mutual respect. I think that's been built up there. Right. Whereas you get, you know, new journalist that's been assigned, maybe doesn't know anything really about how city hall works. Mm -hmm. Um, You have a different conversation with that person. This episode of the Dave Berta podcast is brought to you by Skirts of Fire, Edmonton's only multidisciplinary arts festival featuring and elevating the work of women. This year's festival is bigger than ever before with venues in Old Strathcona, downtown Edmonton, and Alberta Avenue. Among the highlights are the Blue Hour, a timely, funny, complicated, and ultimately heartbreaking play set in a small Alberta town circa 1947. That's at the Westbury Theatre in the Arts Barns in Old Strathcona. There's music, dance, drumming, and performance all along Alberta Avenue, and much, much more. Skirts of Fire takes place from February 27th to March 8th. Festival passes are now on sale for just $38. That will get you into the Blue Hour, one evening performance at the Station on Jasper, and as many by donation event- events as you like. 
You can also buy tickets directly for the Blue Hour, and if you use the offer code PANEL5, P-A-N-E-L-F-I-V-E, you can get $5 off the regular price. Get your tickets today at skirtsafire.com. That's skirtsafire.com. This episode of the Dave Berta Podcast is also brought to you by InVentures, a chance to connect with the best and brightest in global innovation. Join 4,000-plus creative and curious minds on the frontier of innovation. Hear more than 250 speakers on six program tracks, including innovation of work, agriculture in the technology age, and smart cities, vibrant communities, among others. InVentures connects entrepreneurs and startups with venture capitalists, angel investors, service providers, and thought leaders. The conference includes an educational track for students, too. Alberta Innovates is making all of this possible in Calgary from June 3rd to June 5th. Tickets are only $399 if you buy before the end of April. If you're a student, you can get an early bird ticket right now for just $99. Get your tickets today at adventurescanada.com. That's I-N-V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S, adventurescanada.com. So one of the things that has that constantly surprises me about Alberta politics and tied in with municipal politics uh, is the majority of Albertans live in the province's two largest cities, Calgary and Edmonton. Uh, but municipal affairs are consistently a low priority for provincial governments. I mean, I've, I've heard stats that say Alberta is one of the most urbanized or the most urbanized province in Canada, despite our reputation as being rural and cowboys. We actually have right. a huge population of people living, a huge number of people living in the two largest cities and then, you know, the dozen or so medium-sized cities. Uh, there have been eight different ministers of municipal affairs over the past 10 years. And traditionally... The Minister of Municipal Affairs has been seen as a junior cabinet minister. So I, I guess I've never really seen a, con- even though the majority of the population lives in urban centers, I've never really seen a con- any kind of, uh, even with urban, what I would describe as urban based provincial governments, and I'm talking about the NDP government from under Rachel Notley from 2015 to 2019, mm-hmm. even you could argue, I would argue, Alison Redford's government from 2012 until 2014 was very much a very much a, an urban-based government uh i've never seen a consistent or clear urban agenda from a provincial government and i mean i guess my speaking municipally or com- coming from from an angle of looking at at municipal governments do you think there's a what do you think about the state of of, of provincial municipal relations in this province it's problematic at the moment, obviously. I mean, a yeah. part of the reason I think you see that dynamic is because of who the mayor of Edmonton and Calgary are. These are two men that had, you know, well over 100,000 votes for them in the last municipal election. Like, they're hugely popular in the two cities. And that, I think, you know, sets up a little bit of a province versus Edmonton and Calgary dynamic, right? Um, obviously, you know, we like to joke about on the show all the time, actually. We, we exist because... The province allows us to exist as a city, right? The Municipal Government Act is what allows Edmonton to be a city and Calgary to be a city. So if they really wanted to, I suppose they could call it quits tomorrow. Um, not going to happen, though. Troy likes to uh, to raise the possibility. Um, but, you know, that puts a different dynamic on that whole relationship between the province and the city. And so then when you've got these popular mayors who have broad support within their regions and they have objectives that they want to achieve, um, but they need to work with the province to do it because they don't get any of the tax dollars that the province has. Um, you get into this situation where it's kind of a little bit of us versus them. And, uh, uh, you know, we would be able to speak more about this, but historically they haven't really needed the prov- or the cities to win the province politically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, usually, I mean, it tends to be uh, uh, the, the kind of un- unwritten, well, the unwritten formula in Alberta politics is you either, for, for the conservatives, you know, they, they need to be in, what were two of three of Edmonton, rural, and Calgary. And for a long time, it was the progressive conservatives would win rural and Calgary. Calgary. And then 
the liberals and the NDP would kind of chop up the rest of the seats in, in Edmonton and it would swing either way. Um, and that, that, that formula kind of broke when, uh, when, uh, when, I mean, totally shattered when Rachel, when the NDP won yes. and Rachel Notley became, uh, became premier in, in 2015. And then it kind of reverted back, to, back to a rural and Calgary based, uh, government with the only UCP MLA in Edmonton, Casey Madhu, right. now being, uh, having been appointed as Minister of Municipal Affairs, which puts Casey Madhu kind of at the center of this. And and one of the things that I've really noticed about Minister Madhu is, even though Municipal Affairs is a junior cabinet position, he's taken a very aggressive approach and what I would call a very paternalistic approach to dealing with, with the cities, which has not, which it seems that as t- at times has... Um, uh, raised the ire of Don Iveson and raised the ire of Nahid Nenshi, though not necessarily at the same time. Like yeah. it seemed like at the beginning when, when the UCP formed government in 2019, it was very much the UCP against Nahid Nenshi and Don Iveson was trying to be more diplomatic, which I think is Iveson's more natural approach. And I think he's more comfortable taking that kind of approach. Whereas Nenshi is very much likes to muck it up, in Absolutely. The, in, you know, in, in Paul, he's very Absolutely. much like, and, and I mean, he's, he's used to it because the conservatives have tried for, Nine years or however long he's been mayor to try to every election they've been trying trying desperately to try to defeat him and and they just can't can't unseat him. Um, but but being the only UCP MLA for Edmonton, Madhu was appointed to cabinet. Um, but it it doesn't seem like he's the it doesn't seem like he's even though he's the only government MLA from Edmonton, it doesn't seem like he is the political minister from Edmonton. It doesn't seem like he is representing Edmonton on the provincial stage or representing Edmonton in the cabinet. It seems very much he's taking the, the party line and then very much a, a talk da- top down, talk down approach to, to mayors and to city council, which I've heard a number of city councillors. I'm thinking Michael Walters in particular, who's, who's, uh, who's uh, uh, voiced his displeasure around this. Yeah. And during the budget debates at city hall back in November, early December, um, there was a lot of this talk, right? That, uh, Casey Madu would say basically like you've got to get your fiscal house in order, you know, to the cities. Very paternalistic, very, very much like party line, and you know we can't keep spending the way that we're spending, and you cities have to do your part. And I think you saw Iveson and and Nenshi and a number of the councillors say like we've we've done our part, like we we have experienced cuts, we do have this growing need for uh, for financial support. And so you had, you know, a very much a party line versus the versus the city's dialogue happening there. Um, and it it has only kind of gotten worse. Right. So mm-hmm. now um, with the things that the province is looking at with the local uh, authorities election act, which we'll get to um, and, and some of the other changes that they've made, you know, they've put additional stressors on that relationship between um, the province and the municipalities. And, you know, really a lot of it comes back to where the where the money is going towards cities, right? So we knew that MSI funding, the municipal, municipal sustainability initiative funding was going to run out at some point. It was quite a while before um, we knew what was going to happen with that. Um, and then, you know, the budget comes out in October and they decide they're going to cancel the city charter's fiscal framework. So mm-hmm. not the city charter that gives us, you know, the ability to legislate and add uh, some governance capabilities, but the, the part that guaranteed some funding for Edmonton and Calgary as big cities. You know, they said, we're not going to do that anymore. And so that was uh, a big challenge, I think, to the to the two mayors, coupled with, you know, um, the changes that have been made to uh, LRT funding mm-hmm. and uh, at, at best, I guess, delaying the funding that we'll get for LRT. Or adding, uh, adding the guillotine clause. Is yeah, adding they the clause this? as well. Or the guillotine clause, as some people called it. Absolutely. So, I mean, you've seen a bunch of these things that have happened in quite a short period of time, actually, um, that uh, definitely make the, you know, minister, municipal minister Madhu seem like he's representing the province clearly and isn't trying to be friends with, either of the two big cities. Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't necessarily think it's the the job or the role of the Minister of Municipal, Municipal Affairs to be, a, to be the friend of municipalities, but it seems that there's a real lack of municipal agenda. And and I, I'm not expecting the, the UCB government to drive a municipal agenda because I don't think that's where their, where their heart is. I don't think that's where their voter base is. Mm. Um, but I guess the it, it seems like the the cities that's I, I keep on waiting for the the cities to be able to drive or to be in a position to drive some kind of agenda because it does seem kind of crazy that we have these two very large urban municipalities that 
seem to have politically, I mean, it ebbs and flows, but but they don't seem to have any kind of consistent, like, real impact at the provincial level in terms of driving an agenda or getting legislation introduced. It seems that when the when the provincial when provincial politicians are nervous they run and and they run to to municipal politicians to kind of save face and i'm thinking of I, i'm not I, you might have been there the press conference with don Iveson and allison redford announcing lrt funding back in 2014 right when right at the brink probably a week or two before allison redford's yeah. political career like exploded into flames um but it was very clear that she was she was trying to use the municipal you know trying to win score points with with don iveson and edmonton city council and progressives in edmonton by funding lrt and i can't remember if it was the it might have been the if i can't remember whether it was the nate line or the the mill woods the valley line the lrt south, south line yeah. yeah the south line and and it was uh, it was basically a commitment from the province to for funding but even when the ndp formed government after that you know, uh, uh, an Edmonton-based government. I mean, obviously the NDP won seats in Cal, a lot of seats in Calgary, and they won seats in rural Alberta. But the their core of their support was that, and it was and remains Edmonton. Um, even then, I didn't really see a, a consistent uh, urban agenda, something that that would drive the urban areas in terms of of, of development, in terms of building infrastructure. There, it just seemed like every other government that makes announcements about infrastructure and makes promises but there's but it was hard to actually see what anything anything materialize and i understand this stuff takes time but it didn't really seem like there was a there's always a rural party in alberta but there never seems to be an urban party in alberta well i think the ndp might have been scared of being labeled as such when they got into power right that they didn't want to be seen as the edmonton party they wanted to be able to represent a wider swath of the province. I think there has been change, though. I think it's just mm-hmm. slow and it takes time. Okay. I mean, I think getting to the point where we had city charters in place and that discussion that was huge. taking place is a big change from where cities were before. And I think one of the biggest hurdles that they had to overcome was that it was really easy to pit Edmonton versus Calgary uh, when you were talking to the province, right? And if you wanted to get something to happen, well, then the province knew they had to go and turn around and do it for Calgary. And so it was always this sort of um, contentious discussion back and forth to get anything done. And so when the two cities started working together more effectively and started pushing for uh, this realization that they are big cities, they do have different needs, we got somewhere. And, and we did get the city charter in place. And we did have some um, you know, improved ability to manage our own affairs in Edmonton and Calgary. It's unfortunate that the funding doesn't seem like it's going to follow now, um, but I think that's an example of you know a st- moving in that direction. Although okay. it may not be as fast as everybody would like. Okay, okay, that's good. Yeah, I'm, I'm selling selling some people short here. Uh, uh, you're giving credit where credit is deserved, I guess. <laughs> so the don't, don't get me wrong; it's not perfect. No, no, no. It's but, a, well, it's definitely not perfect. Yeah. Um, so the next municipal election is about 19 months away, which is crazy because it just feels like we just had a municipal election here in Alberta. Um, and it was announced. It's been in, it's been talked about for a while, and we've we've heard rumors. But it was announced last week or the week before that the Alberta government is going to review the Local Authorities Elections Act, which is the law that governs municipal elections in Alberta for town, cities, towns, villages, school boards, uh, Métis settlements. It's a big piece of legislation. So the government is going to review that. They've launched. An online survey, a survey monkey. I did survey. it. Did I you did do the survey. I did. I did it too, and I yeah. found. I found it was. Uh, I I I included a lot in the uh, in the. Do you have more the to comments. say? Because it was just like a, a multiple. Basically, is basically a multiple choice online survey, and you could kind of see the direction they were pushing. They were going in uh, with with the survey. the The survey focused on four or five main areas. So there was the length of the campaign period the nomination process, campaign finances, third-party advertising, and then the recall of municipal elected officials. Right. So what what do you think the province is up to here? What do you think that, what do you, and, and I mean, it this seems- This is the wild speculation yeah, totally. of the podcast. But, and I should note that this is the second time, this will be the second time that the Local Authorities Elections Act has been significantly amended since the last municipal election because the NDP right. in their last year in government introduced a whole swath of amendments having to do with campaign finance, third-party advertising, the nomination process, the campaign period. So, you know, candidate incumbents and candidates who were planning on running 
were originally operating under the original rules from the last election, and then they had to change and adapt to the rules the NDP implemented. And now it seems like they might have to adapt and change again to rules that the UCP are going to ch- are going to implement in the spring or in the fall. And everyone will tell you that all of those changes were to try to make them more fair and transparent. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that it's an interesting survey, and it's pretty uh, opinionated, actually, when you look at it, some of the options that are in there. It really seems to me that this is about advertising and campaign spending. Mm-hmm. Um, so the NDP lowered the donation limits, right, to $4,000 across the province. One of the questions on the survey asks if, um, that limit should be kept the same or increased uh, to be a per candidate amount, uh, maybe increased altogether. Um, it didn't say decreased? No decrease on that one. Interesting. No decrease on that one. There was an option for no contribution limits, though. Hmm. So just take off the limit altogether. Just, yeah. So people could buy elections. That's <laughs> yeah. a great idea. Right. Um, you know, there's some good stuff in the survey. I guess the thing about campaign expenses, I think, is interesting. Yeah. Uh, like, should there be a limit on how much a campaign can can spend? Mm-hmm. Currently, there's no limit. Um, there's a question Pro- around... Provincially and federally, there are limits for candidates. Yeah. So that would, be a, that would be a good change. But yeah, the question around the contributions and around the third party advertising seem to be where most of the chatter is coming in. And that's an important question because of how much elections cost to to run as a candidate. We saw in the last uh, Edmonton election here, you know, John D from Ward 3, John D- Zadik, uh, <laughs> won with $17,000. Yeah. Um, you know, but other councillors like Sarah Hamilton in Ward 5 spent almost $100,000. Um, the mayor spent probably $400,000 in that election. So, you know, there's this argument that if we take the limits off, then it really changes who has the ability and the capacity to run for office. And that would be a negative thing for uh, our local elections. So that's a big part of it. And then the advertising, uh, uh, the third party advertising and sort of the transparency of um, who, who, where the money comes from and who's mm-hmm. putting money into the election mm-hmm. and how that is made available to voters so that they know um, maybe how they've been influenced. And one one of the differences between the next, or presumably one of the differences between the next municipal election and the last municipal election in 2017 is one of the, the key changes that the NDP made was banning corporate and union donations. That's right. And so it, it put it in line with, put municipal elections in Alberta in line with both provincial and federal laws that said only individuals can donate. This is where it makes the third party advertising funding and try and transparency around third party advertising interesting because as we saw federally and especially as we saw provincially yeah uh you know political money it's like water it, it follows the path of least resistance so when the ndp provincially banned corporate and union donations to candidates and political parties we saw a huge bump in uh, in thir- uh, advertising for third party advertisers people may know colloquially they're called political action committees Packs. but but yeah. legally they're called third party advertisers in in, in alberta um, and we saw a lot of corporate money going into a lot of corporate money and a lot of union money going into um, into third party advertisers because they couldn't donate to political candidates anymore so the, yeah the question is is what are they going to do around the third party advertising and provincially it looks like there's there's been indications that the government is going to amend the elections act and the election finance finance and contributions disclosure act provincially and one of the concerns is similar to the discussion around the local authorities elections act that the government will make amendments to uh, decrease or or, or de- decrease the 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 restraint put on uh, third party groups in terms of funding and the kind of transparency that they have to provide, or even just give greater um, balance of power, I guess you could say, to corporations. Yeah, which who have more money to spend would, on on PACs. Yeah, right? and in, in previous provincial election or previous municipal elections, um, we've we know we have we we have examples of developers, for example, spending a ton of money on uh, on funding political candidates incumbents a lot of incumbents depend have depended heavily on money from developers here in edmonton i'm thinking in calgary with the uh, the sprawl cabal yes. and the uh uh bill smith i'm just trying to remember what's the guy's name oh yeah bill smith probably the most generic name ever uh <laughs> who ran against nahid nenshi last time was it was very much seen as a as a uh candidate who had been supported um by the you know or was the favorite of developers and end of the conservative establishment in in Calgary running against Nahid Nenshi, which I think that like the entire approach this provincial government is taking around municipal elections, I think like the uh, the the secondary story or the un, the the this 
the big part of the story arc or like the unwritten part of the story arc is they really want to defeat Nenshi if he runs again in Calgary. Like I think I, I feel like that's the drive behind the changes to the local authorities elections act. And it's not just the, not just the changes to the act, but it's also the two other things that are going to happen on the, on the same day or that we believe are going to happen on the same day as the municipal election in 2021, which is number one, the, the Senate nomination election, which we know is going to be uh, the legislation has passed and we know that it's going to be held on the same day as the municipal election. And we know that the candidates are going to be running under federal party banners, mm. even though it's an election run under by the provincial government during the municipal election. Uh, there will, there will be uh, the candidates running will be, will be have the, the, the federal, the federal political party of choice. And then the other thing happening on the same day is the referendum that the Premier Jason Kenney has promised. And we don't exactly know what the referendum will be. Um, it might be on autonomy. It might be on the pipeline. It, like there's really shifting goalposts. It's kind of this threat that's 19 months away that like whatever no one is really defined. most at that time. Yeah. Or, or <laughs> as, I, as I suspect, whatever will draw out conservative voters. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's the, that's part of the play against, uh, against Nenshi and against more progressive mayors like Don Iveson, who might not fall, might not fit in the kind of, in the conservative camp. And even though Alberta's provincially and federally is dominated by conservative politicians municipally is where we've seen moderates and progressives very flourish quite a bit in, on, on the municipal level though we've had some conservatives obviously yep. get elected um this is i guess bringing up the thing that lots of people talk about which is party politics and whether or not these changes mm-hmm. are really to bring about um, party politics in local elections um minister madu basically said that you know our government has no intention to introduce partisan politics into municipal elections he also however said i don't see any municipal council or mayor that is devoid of partisan politics and when i was looking this up the other day about you know pol- uh, municipal level elections in alberta and parties uh, i found a blog post written in 2016 by some blogger named dave cornway that basically <laughs> called uh this a myth that there's no parties in municipal politics the, yeah you have po- po- municipal politicians of all pl- of all, all provincial and federal political stripes who are active or run have run provincially or federally or who are involved federally and 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 provincially uh, in their own parties not not all of them and they don't obviously don't when they're sitting on city council they're not sitting as a ndp right. member or a ucp member but but there's definitely like this is this is politics and there's yeah. definitely that definitely exists so the risk here i guess is that we make that partisan politics less obfuscated becomes a little bit more obvious if some of these finance rules get changed and it's a little bit easier to tap into a pack or something like that mm-hmm. to, uh, to to grow your support and to make it harder for other people to run. Yeah, I, I've, I have really mixed feelings about the introduction of part political parties at the, at the municipal level because in one, one hand, one of the things I like the most about municipal politics and municipal elections is when I've worked on municipal campaigns, it's usually, usually I get to work with people who... I wouldn't necessarily work with on the provincial or federal level. So I've I've I, I've gotten to work with great conservatives and people who are further left than Karl Marx and right. uh, on, on working on on sometimes on the same provincial or same municipal election campaign. That's what the 2013 uh, mayoral election felt like for me. Yeah, working on with the Don Iverson's campaign, campaign. Like we we all were all, all involved. Yeah. yeah, and a bunch of our conservative friends were involved yeah. too. It was it was a real pastiche. Yeah, yeah. Of different political leanings. Yeah, and it, it felt uh, it felt that that was very, it was a very cool experience, and and being able to put aside those kind of partisan provincial and federal partisan labels, I thought was really was a real powerful experience. That said, I think that it would be I I loathe the municipal politicians who run on the uh and not like individually because they're all good people for the most part but like i loathe it when people run on this like oh i'm a fiscal conservative but i'm a social progressive which basically means you don't really believe in anything in yeah. my opinion <laughs> yeah. um but you and 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 then and then you have like and then they're just like either all voting in favor of anything the developers want or they're just totally all over the map inconsistently uh during council votes and i think uh having some kind of party or some kind of slate uh, system might help. Uh, I don't know, hold people accountable in terms of of their values, in terms of of the positions they they, they decide to run on. And I understand that you like that you that that we elect people to make the best decisions at the time 
and then they, we can, as voters, can hold them accountable three or four years later, whenever right. the next next election comes. But, but I find that it it would be easier to have, uh, you know, a very clear line of who the, you know, who's running on a a, a small C progressive and or a small C or a small C conservative or a small P progressive platform uh, and a slate might be a way to do that. And I don't know if it's like a formalized political party or just like a, a group of people running on the same ideals. Um, but that might, might make municipal politics more, more interesting. I mean, you already kind of know who's going to vote what, right? When we talk about an issue on our show, it's pretty clear if it's an eight, Eight five vote or you know seven three vote or whatever we 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 know who those three and those five are okay. right. Mike Nickel votes no to everything. Um, you know if he's voting no, it's likely that Councillor Banga or Councillor Zadik or Councillor Katarina has voted no as well. I mean you you already kind of have a group of councillors who do have a progressive slant who do tend to vote in the same way, and so then it becomes really interesting when they don't vote yeah. in that way, which. You know, if they're part of a party, yeah. they probably wouldn't be allowed to do. Well, and that's that's the other that's that that is one of the things I don't like about having the party system. So I'm kind of cherry picking from all the different systems, but I like the idea that that uh, that there is not a party line. Yeah. That, that, that the councilors can make. You know, I just said I didn't like that they're inconsistent, but I do like that in some cases they can. Uh, you know, they can make decisions that might not have been as predictable but but it might be in the best interest of the city or the best interest of the ward of their even, even though it doesn't or, fall in or yeah. their constituents even though it doesn't fall like in into straight a straight line into their ideological platform right do, do you think that a party system uh in municipal elections would have a material impact on uh voter turnout like would would this framework turn more people off of of municipal politics or would, would it the effect be negligible Obviously, that's really hard to say. My gut tells me it would turn people off. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way. You know, I think local uh, elections, the municipal election, that's the closest thing to your day-to-day, right? The decisions that are made there impact your day-to-day. And as you move up the orders of government, it gets a little bit further away in most cases from your day-to-day. I think it's harder to connect on some of those issues that happen at the provincial and federal level. Um, Certainly harder to understand all the nuances Mm. and everything that goes on. And so I feel like that might cause people to be less engaged and less likely to take it out to the polls. But yeah. I mean, who knows? What do you think? I, I agree with you. I think personally it would just introduce an unneeded polarization into municipal politics. Like I, I really do appreciate that for the most part, our municipal politics are really issues based. Mm-hmm. And, and like you said, Dave, like sometimes the the folks who, you, you know, you perceive as more progressive might vote the other way on something. It just, I don't know. I feel like it makes for more nuanced conversations, debates, arguments about this stuff that you start applying party labels to stuff. It's just like, well, he's a he's a liberal, so he's never going to, one, vote for this or two, be able to vote for this if they're whipped along right. party lines. I mean, you, you might think about it in terms of cover for a counselor, right? And mm. so currently, if they're looking for cover, they can typically say, well, I heard a lot of feedback from my ward from my constituents Mm -hmm. about this. And that's why I'm voting in a way that might seem at odds with the way that I typically vote. You know, they wouldn't use those words, but we can parse it that way. Mm -hmm. If your label then is not counselor for Ward 3, but is member of PC party or member of NDP party, it changes things. It changes your cover. It changes the way that you uh, make those decisions and the way that you talk about them. Yeah, I think it's all around a terrible idea. Okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've been, I've been, I've been outvoted. Uh, but I, 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 yeah. I mean, I think that the the what I would be worried about is the kind of the how the, and I guess we have no reason to believe it would it would, it would be it would end up being different. But the way the party system works, provincially and federally, especially in the legislatures, is uh, you know very strong party control, very mm-hmm. strong executive control and the individual members you know there is a whip and there's not a lot of room despite some political parties talking about how they want free votes and how they want to empower their members no political party in canada is really serious about it and i haven't seen anything really demonstrated that that they're very serious about it and i mean yeah i guess that would be my that would be my concern is that once you give once you give too much power to an executive or too much power to even the party membership the actual people who get elected to make decisions don't really have a t- 
ton of room to make their own decisions independently. And to actually represent the people that voted them in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. it's this kind of like nasty cycle that uh, that drives the the one of what I would argue is one of the biggest problems we have in our our current political system. I, I wanted to share a little, just a story about slates and and party politics in municipal politics. Now Edmonton used to have like political slates kind of pseudo political parties on on council there was the edmonton voters association which was i think the left party there was uh urban reform group edmonton which was urge which was kind of like a liberal mod liberal you know moderate ndp party from what i understand and then there was another one that was kind of uh, a um more of a conservative group um but going back to the 1930s there was a uh, there's all sorts of, I was reading all sorts of story. I've been reading all sorts of stories about political party slates and, and um, political parties at the municipal level. And there's all sorts of stories from the 1930s in Edmonton and around the province about the social credit party and the communists forming alliances to like take over municipal governments and particularly in the town of Blairmore. And I posted a series of a kind of a, a tweet thread about this a few weeks ago, um, which was Blairmore, which was a coal mining town, which was a hotbed for communism in the 1920s and 1930s. And in the 19, I think it was the 1932 or 1933 municipal elections, the United Mine Workers uh, uh, ran a slate, so the, the, the ran a labor slate to take to for the Blairmore City Council, Blairmore Town Council, and they won. And one of the things that they did. Uh, when they, after they won uh, uh, the municipal election and formed a majority, and I think they've won the entire entire town council, is they implemented a, uh, a a licensing fee for dogs, but only for purebred dogs, because the assumption was that only the bosses could afford purebreds, and every <laughs> all the workers could only afford mutts. So anyway, wow. so anyway, there's there's all sorts of I I want to write a post about this because it was really wild. This comes some some of the stuff that they did. They did they they celebrated the 17th anniversary of the Russian Revolution as an official hol- holiday, wow. and the schools were closed, and they had a big celebration, uh, in you know downtown Blairmore, uh, which I'm sure at the time was just and maybe even now was just one street, but it was a big celebration. They renamed Victoria Avenue, um, after the uh the leader or one of the leaders of the communist movement in Canada, and anyway, so it's was a very wild time. The 1930s in Alberta politics was like, you know, communists singing the international. Oh, they made the international, the, 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 the official song of Blairmore. That's what, that's what it was. But yeah, the 1930s, they had, uh, you know, it was very, people like to talk about how politics are polarized now, but like politics in the 1930s in Alberta was just like the social credit party was, was on the rise. The cooperative movement was collapsing. Like, you know, there were actual communists being elected to the legislature in Alberta, in, in Alberta. Um, like there were some real ideological projects happening in this province, unlike all sides of the political spectrum. Sounds like it was very front and center too. Like nothing was trying to be hidden about that. No, I don't think anybody <laughs> was hiding anything. It was yeah. all like you had fascists and communists and it was just, they were out on the streets and Amazing. it was just, yeah. And I mean, keep, keep in mind the context, it was the great depression. People were desperate. There was a lot of, you know, it, it, you know, it, it was apparent at the time that capitalism was failing. The markets had totally collapsed. People couldn't afford food. And there was uh, uh, the dust bowl crops weren't being grown. Like, so, Keep in mind, like the it was a very unstable time in society. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think at that, I think that kind of environment was just created a situation where it was ripe for um, for those kind that kind of ideological debates that you know that reached the municipal level, you know, in Edmonton and Blairmore and beyond. We had groups, I think, until the eighties, right? Like yeah, slates or, or parties or yeah, like. yeah. I think I think Brian Mason was one of the last uh, was one of the last Edmonton voter coalition i'm hoping i get that wrong edmonton voter association members voted on to edmonton city council before but, he but jumped nothing in provincial like politics 30s, thankfully no nothing like that no 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 no. it's all pretty all pretty tame compared to the 19th everything in alberta politics today is pretty tame compared to the 1930s they do call them the dirty 30s for a reason i guess i guess now we know at least in canada or in edmonton at, at least in at least in, in alberta, alberta. Yeah. so looking ahead to the 2021 election in 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 uh, in edmonton what do you think the big issues are going to be? Well, in Edmonton, one of the big issues is is Mayor Iveson running again okay. or not. And uh, I think municipally we've seen already that a handful of the, the current city councillors are jockeying for position and are trying to make themselves look a little bit more mayoral than they might otherwise be. And it's pretty early for that to be happening, but 
it's pretty clear that that's the case. So I think that's definitely uh, one of the issues that's that's going to come up is, you know, are we going to have a wide open mayoral race like we had a few years ago? And that obviously has a different brings a different flavor to the election than it would if Mayor Iveson was running again. Uh, maybe in Calgary, I pay a little less attention to what's going on down there too. But you know, maybe uh, maybe Nenshi will decide he's had enough as well. So that's one thing. I think another thing will be around um, you know funding and uh, and some of the projects and things like that that the cities want to get done but can't get done without money from the other orders of government and how we're going to navigate those relationships and who's best positioned to navigate those relationships. So, so are you mostly talking about like LRT trains or like that kind of infrastructure or what, like what kind of projects? Well, Edmonton has seen a huge reduction in the amount of funding just in this last budget alone and mm-hmm. that it got from the province. And so there's the funding for projects like the LRT, but there's also, um, you know, the funding that we get through other programs um, you know, we get money back from the province for, for certain things that we can use to build infrastructure, whether those fire stations or libraries or any of the other things that we need to do. Um, and you know, that's a challenge I think on the cost side, but also then on the revenue side, you've heard Iveson and Nenshi and others ask for greater ability to control their sources of income, like property taxes are really the only thing we've got. Um, you know, the city council just had a big report on property taxes, looking at, you know, other ways they might be able to, uh, to try to address that and the limits and the, you know, opportunities available. Um, you know, that's a, that's a challenge. And unless the province is going to do something to give them greater powers to raise money in other ways, that'll continue to be uh, a challenge. So you mentioned, I mean, the big question about whether, you know, whether there will be an incumbent mayor running in, uh, in Edmonton. Have, do you know if there's any, is there any indication, other, any, any other way, any way that, uh, that Don Iveson has suggested he's going to run or not run? Or is like from, from your vantage point, from, uh, from speaking municipally? I mean, if it was called today, I don't think he would run. Uh, I really don't get the sense that he's been his usual self that we know him to be as, uh, as you know, speaking as a, just someone who pays attention to council. He seemed um, at times to be a little fed up with, with council and some of the decisions that have been made and the way things are going. I have absolutely no insider information on all of this. is all speculation. Um, and, and if Troy, my co-host, is right, you know, to your earlier question about some of the other issues, if calcium chloride is a big issue in the 2021 election, I'm not sure that Mayor Iveson wants to jump in on that fight is, is calcium you know I mean? chloride is that the stuff in the water or is that the stuff in the streets that's the streets that's the <laughs> salt chloride is the, the stuff in the water that's yeah. the other okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> the stuff we put to melt the snow or, or not melt the snow on the streets um you know those are the kinds of issues that seem to keep coming up again and again and again municipally that you know somebody like don i don't think wants to talk about he's you know, he's known to people as the LRT mayor, right? Transit has been his issue. But I've been saying for a while now that I actually think his legacy is going to be what he's done in the region yeah. and the sort of uh, progress that's been made on both the the Metropolitan Region Board, but also Edmonton Global and the economic development side of things. And, you know, the way that that has moved from where we started with the forced capital region board from the province to yeah. where we are today, that's all or largely uh, because of his efforts. And it does feel a little bit like it's stalled out recently like mm-hmm, we haven't mm-hmm. really followed through on everything that uh, that he and his fellow counselors got going but you know i think that's the type of issue that he would be more excited to be campaigning about and to yeah. be talking about if it's calcium chloride and he's got to put up with another four years of people complaining about clearing streets i mean that takes a toll right yeah yeah, and he's also spent a lot of time with the Federation of Canadian Municipalities. I think he's the is he the, he's big, the chair the of the chair. big city mayor's caucus. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I've seen like followed like follow on social media. He's in Ottawa quite a bit, meeting with with federal officials and and meeting with other mayors across the country. So that's, I mean, that's quite a big seems like quite a big responsibility, and I mean, quite a big high profile role in federal circles and national circles for Edmonton as well. Absolutely. And at the moment, it's nicely aligned, right? Because uh, we've declared a climate emergency in Edmonton. That seems like the type of issue mm-hmm. that uh, the Mayor Iveson would be interested in talking about. It seems like the Liberals federally are making that part of their uh, platform, whereas the Conservatives have basically said, no, that's not something we care about, essentially. Yeah. Um, and so there's this interesting moment of time where where that is something that's top of mind for both of them. And so it makes sense that they can try to find solutions to that that benefit cities, right? Yeah. Um, but if that dynamic changes or, you know, he decides he doesn't want to run for these local reasons, then, you know, that could have big issues, not just for Edmonton, but other cities too. One of the one of the things coming out of the, or of course we haven't seen what's come out of it yet, but one of the topics that the Alberta government's fair deal 
panel, the uh, Alberta Autonomy Panel, essentially, that, that was set up and has been holding these town hall meetings across the province. I, I called them. I went to one of them in Edmonton, and I, I called it the uh, Separatist Open Mic Night. Uh, <laughs> but uh, w- one of the things that the panel has been tasked with uh, with looking at is restricting the ability of municipalities to make agreements and arrangements with the federal government. And the first thing that comes, I mean, a number of things come to mind when I think about that, but the first thing that comes to mind is climate change and the things that you just mentioned in the city of Edmonton being, I think, maybe one of, I think, two municipalities in Alberta that have declared a climate emergency. You go around the country and there's dozens or or ten or dozens or a hundred or so more municipalities in other provinces that will have declared a climate emergency. But in Alberta, I think it's Edmonton and Canmore might have been might have been the other one. Yeah, I'm not sure. And one of the first things I think of when I think of restricting the ability of municipalities to work with the federal government is this is a way for the provincial government to stop municipalities from working municipalities who want to take initiatives on climate change from working with the federal government on on climate issues that could be and this is also the second time really that edmonton declared a climate emergency because of course we had the edmonton declaration which essentially was saying there's an emergency in climate change and we should when was that um that was a few years prior i don't remember the exact date off the top of my head um but the other issue that comes up with what you just mentioned this proposal that the province gets to say yay or nay to whether the city can have an agreement with the federal government is really around funding again Mm -hmm. and it's another pinch point for the province to control that spending so with the lrt funding um we know that it's at best been delayed that means that if they want to keep things going they want to keep the project going they likely need to borrow money in order to do that or they need to get the federal government to give them the money up front in order to do that or they're going to have to ask for more money if they actually now need to get provincial approval to go and seek that mm-hmm. from the federal government that's a big problem uh, another example of, of of this sort of uh, pinch point is what happened with the uh, alberta capital finance authority so they've now s- dissolved that as part of the recent changes that were made i think in bill 22 was yep. it um and they've made it a provincial responsibility. And so when the city goes to borrow money to build infrastructure, it used to go to the ACFA, and it was basically a rubber stamp exercise to get that money to go and, and do it, and they can borrow at lower interest rates. Now it's essentially a political decision, right? Because it's the government gets to say yes or no to whether or not the city can borrow that money. I mean, they've said the process and everything will stay the same, but there's all these examples of the province, you know, exercising its power against municipalities when it already is the one that holds the power in those relationships, right? Looking ahead to issues 2021, free transit. Do you think anybody's going to run on uh, run on free transit in the 2020? Anyone serious is going to run on 20, 2021 on free transit, which has been an issue that's been going to council. Council hasn't hasn't uh, hasn't obviously hasn't approved it, but uh, advocates for uh, action on climate change have been pushing the city. If, if the city is serious about its declaration that climate is climate change is an emergency, that free transit could be a, a, a one way to achieve that role. And and Adam actually shared last week with me um, a podcast, ninety nine percent invisible, which mm-hmm. was talking about the missing bus, basically, and the role that buses can play in terms of of addressing as a, as a way to address climate change as a way to address the kind of the real transportation management issues that that our cities face do you think there's going to be a serious candidate who's going to run on free transit i don't i, I think it's I don't, great i but. don't know i mean councillor paquette aaron paquette has been um very vocal about this obviously okay and has yeah. been shot down at council for trying to get this to happen even trying to get free transit on election day right for the yeah. federal oh, election that's right. Um, you know, he's been pushing this idea um, municipally pretty hard lately. So if he decides that he's going to continue that fight, then maybe he'll run on that. Um, I think the free transit thing is really interesting because I agree that like there's so many benefits that could come from it. Uh, just a few weeks ago, the city, you know, updated its fare policies again and they botched the rollout of it. And so there was all these people on Twitter that were like, well, we could solve this problem by making it free. We wouldn't have to like remember how much does a bus pass cost this month. Um, but it's not you know, the big issue, the big issue is still the way we build the city. Uh, you okay. know, so much of, uh, of what buses could do won't matter if we're still sprawled out and if we still need For to sure. travel huge distances. Yeah. Um, so I guess back to the, what is a big issue in 2021, I would like to hope that it's something around the city plan. So the city's redoing its municipal development plan, its transportation master plan, the documents that are meant to guide the way we build the city over the next 10 years. Um, those have got to be foundational 
I mean, they are foundational. They've got to be front and center, I think. Um, you know, that report that I mentioned on property taxes that just went to council talked all about how if we continue to grow out, it's unsustainable and it actually generates less revenue for us because it costs so much more uh, to service these areas. And so there's this ongoing discussion around the city plan and, you know, the mayor and other people have talked about it as, you know, we're building for a city of 2 million people as opposed to a city of 1 million people that we are today. But when we talk about transit, for me at least, to quickly get into this, well, yeah, we could have free buses and that would be great and it would have an impact. But at the end of the day, what we really need to do is stop building, you know, on the edges of the city. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to take both sides and suggest we need to do both. But yeah, no, I totally agree. That's it's, totally fair. The, I think that would be good. Yeah, the, the way we build the way we build cities uh, in this province is just not not sustainable in terms of the sprawl and the pressure it puts on. I mean, put the pressure it puts on on the infrastructure, on transportation, on uh, on schools, on school boards, it's just it's it seems like we're we we seem to talk a lot about how we want to have it under control, but it's not really under control. Yeah. So yeah. of course, infill is going to be a topic, right? Yeah. That'll continue to be the the gondola. People talk about the gondola. I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the gondola. I don't know. The gondola will still be around by the time we get to the election. <laughs> to be honest, um, will it be operational by that point? <laughs> I will say that, no, it won't be operational. I will say council seems at least open to getting information. There's been some other things recently that they've basically said, no, we don't even need to get a report about that. We're not going any further, which is really bizarre because it's about, you know, things like being transparent. Okay. Uh, really strange. <laughs> uh, but gondolas, they seem okay at least to uh, get some more information. So I guess, I mean, it won't be done by then. That could be an election issue. People do seem to like big projects as uh, as election things, whether it's arenas yeah. or trains or whatever. So well, I think any of our listeners who are not familiar with the gondola uh, should refer to the monorail episode of The Simpsons yeah, from yeah, about twenty five years ago. Yeah, and a great great cameo by uh, Leonard Nimoy in that. Oh, that's uh, right. That I forgot about actually. that. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Live long and prosper. <laughs> <laughs> that's it for this episode. Thanks to the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB, for supporting the show. And a huge thanks to MacMail for joining us today. Thanks, Mac. Thanks for having me. It was fun to talk about uh, some city things on the Provincial Podcast. Felt like old times. Fellas. Yeah, it was an Good. absolute pleasure to have you on. And uh, and maybe uh, maybe we'll reach out to you again and uh, you and Troy when the uh, as we get closer to the municipal election here in Edmonton and uh, and chat then. We are already planning our coverage for 2021, so oh. I look forward to that. Excellent. Great. Um, Check out Taproot Edmonton at taprootyeg.ca and speaking municipally uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're listening to Dave Berta, the Dave Berta podcast, you can probably find Speaking Municipally by searching Speaking Municipally on the same place. You're also members of the Alberta podcast. We are also members of the Alberta podcast. There you go. Go team. Uh, send us your feedback or ask any questions you have for our next episode. You can get us on Twitter and Instagram at, at DaveBerta or on the DaveBerta Facebook page. Or you can email us email us at podcast at DaveBerta.ca. Thanks so much for listening. Mm-hmm.